Father, we come before you. We thank you for another, another Sabbath day to come and celebrate and worship you. Father, we pray that you would be with us, those in this assembly and your people throughout this world worshiping elsewhere. We also ask a special prayer for those who are hurting, those who are needing healing. We pray that you would be their Yahweh Rapha, that you would heal them, that you would provide whatever needing needed healing they would require. Father, we thank you now for all the blessings you've given us. We pray that your blessings and your favor would be upon this assembly and all those here. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah and amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a blessing to be here, blessing to see everybody here. Finally, some of the snow and ice are gone, and some of us can make it to the assembly again, so that's a blessing. Before I get into my message, I want to make one quick announcement. Oh, thought we had all this worked out already. So, uh, good news, good news, bad news. I think it's kind of good news, but uh, based on the evidence of the barley, we are marking the uh, March new moon, so the upcoming new moon, as the uh, 13th month. So that will mark a, a dar two, or again, the 13th month. That means that April will be the... Uh, important month of Abib. And just, um, I've been in contact with uh, Brian the Convery. He has uh, multiple witnesses in Israel looking. And uh, based on the evidence, there is uh, certainly no barley um, in the uh, uh, soft dough or the uh, Abib stage. So we are marking again the uh, month of March, the new moon, as Adar 2, or the 13th month. And uh, that will place April as the month of Abib. So these are the projected dates. And with the exception of Pentecost, everything that could happen will happen this year. We do have two critical new moons. Both are in question. The uh, month of uh, Abib is in question. It's likely April 2nd, maybe April 1st. We're uh, very likely April 2nd. So a uh, remote chance observed the previous day for a Passover and 11 bread. So right now we're projecting April 15th, the evening, by the way, for the memorial. And the uh, Feast of 11 bread would be April 17th or the 23rd. Now the way it falls, June 5th will not change, no matter how the new moon falls. June 5th will remain the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost or Shavuot. Feast of Trumpets, we have the uh, different scenario here, maybe observed next day. It's not too likely, but it's a little bit more iffy than the um, than the Abib New Moon. So, Feast of Trumpets right now, September twenty eighth. The of Atonement would be October sixth. Feast of uh, Tabernacles could be October eleventh through the seventeenth, and last great day would be October eighteenth. And again, just keep in mind that it is possible. It's possible. It's not probable, but it's possible that these days could be observed one day later. So again, I'd like to uh, thank all those in Israel looking. I know uh, there's been a very, Brian's been very faithful posting almost every day, different updates. And the uh, barley is still very young. They've uh, gotten a lot of rain, which kind of stalls the uh, maturity of the barley. And it's been uh, abnormally cold. You've probably seen some of the snow in Jerusalem and even in the south. And uh, even uh, Mount Hermon, of course, it's not uncommon, but they have snow. Uh, still and um, more rain coming from what I understand. So uh, we will again be marking uh, March as the uh, 13th month, putting the uh, fall feast um, or the, the April as Abib and fall feast or in, in October. 
Okay, well today I want to talk about, let's see, move on here, the um, living by code of conduct. I want to begin by asking why is it important to even have a code of conduct and what is it? Well, the Cambridge Dictionary defines a code of conduct this way. It says a set of rules that members of an organization or people with a particular job or position must follow. As believers, where do you suppose we find our code of conduct? Or scriptures? I'm assuming the answer is something we all know, and that is, again, Yahweh's word of the scriptures. Within the Bible, we find the norms and the rules that we should be living by as believers. Now, why is a code of conduct important? Why, it is, why is it important to remind Yahweh's people what the code of conduct is? Or the, again, the answer is pretty obvious. But as believers, it's important that we live by norms based on Yahweh's word. You know, the world that we live in today is evidence of what happens when we forsake Yahweh's word. And we can see evidence all throughout this world. The world is in chaos, as we heard from Brother Alex. The world is in chaos. And it's important for that reason, again, to have norms and to live by virtue and morality. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. He said this, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul understood that if he did not bring his body into bondage, did not live by a set of ethics, a set of values, that he himself would be a castaway. He understood the importance of a code of conduct. He understood that this made him into a better person, a better believer. He also understood that if he did not live by a code of conduct, by morality, that he himself could lose his salvation. A few years ago, we drafted our own code of conduct, again, based on the biblical principles we find within Yahweh's word. The purpose was fairly simple. It was to give each member here a set of values that we would all share and that would help in the growth of the believers and also make this assembly the very best assembly we could possibly be. I'm all about relationships and growing as an assembly, and also that we are unapologetically conservative, but at the same time, I think it is important to have mutual care and concern for those within the assembly. And those are two concepts sometimes at competing odds for whatever reason. Sometimes you can't be a conservative assembly and have these ethics. I like to describe this assembly as compassionate conservative. I believe it's essential that we have this conservative nature, but also that we show care and concern for those in the assembly. So here are the virtues or the values or the ethics within our code of conduct. So number one, it says there, we will treat one another with courtesy and kindness. That's the first code of conduct. Number two, we will endeavor to maintain an attitude of love in all our relationships. And certainly that includes here at the ministry. We will seek to develop confidences and will refrain from gossip. It's an important principle. We will seek in all we do and say to strengthen character and dignify each other. We will remember that our personal conduct gives evidence of our sincerity and reflects upon the ministry. And that's important to realize that when we're out of the ministry and we're in the world, people see our ethics. They see our virtues or lack thereof. We will seek 
where we will walk in the humility of the Messiah and consider the needs of others. And lastly, here we will be vigilant, protecting our children and securing their safety and well-being at all times. So again, this is our code of conduct. I want to focus on the first one, begin with the first one here. And the first one again is we will treat one another with courtesy and kindness. It's very simple, but it's a very important principle. So what is courtesy and kindness? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines courtesy as, quote, a behavior marked by polished manners or respect for others. It also says consideration, cooperation, and generosity. So courtesy is simply showing respect and consideration to those around us. I know many of us, we understand these things, but again, these are essential truths I believe that is good to be reminded of. That as believers, we should be showing common courtesy, respect to those here. Wikipedia defines kindness as this. It says, a behavior marked by ethical characteristics, a pleasant disposition, and concern and consideration for others. It is considered a virtue and is recognized as a value in many cultures and religions. So what are some of the similarities we find between courtesy and kindness? Well, number one, both are considered virtues. Number two, they both involve respect, concern, and consideration for others. Now, what does the Bible say about these attributes? I want to spend just a few moments focusing on courtesy, kindness, what these are. Why should we be showing these attributes? So Colossians 3, verse 12, Paul speaks about this. He says, Put on therefore, as the elect of Elohim, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Paul begins here by calling on the elect of Yahweh. Who is this? Or this is a reference to all believers in the Messiah. We are the elect of Yahweh. So Paul is speaking to you and I. So what is Paul's message here? What message is Paul conveying within this passage? He says here that we should show mercy, kindness, humbleness, and long-suffering. It comes from the Greek, the word kindness, Christosis, and means usefulness. That is moral excellence and character demeanor. One of the things I really like about the definition here for kindness is the reference to moral excellence. Moral excellence. So we see a connection between moral excellence and when we show kindness as a believer. When we show kindness to one another, we are showing exceptional character. As we know from the word, Yahweh is concerned about not only who we are from the outside, not only what we do from the outside, but what we do and who we are in the inside. If we lack this kind of virtue, keeping the commandments will be for naught. And that's a message I've expounded upon in the past many times. We can observe the Sabbath just right. We can observe the feast days just right. We can mark and look at every label and observe the kosher food laws just right. And yet, if we do not show these virtues, these ethics, it will be all for naught. And that includes the other things like mercy, kindness, humility, and patience, as we find here. Now, here's what Peter says, Second Peter 1, 4 through 7. It says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. It's an important phrase there, precious promises. We'll talk about that in just a moment. That by these you might be partakers of the majestic nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience holiness, and to holiness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, he says here, charity. Peter begins here by talking about the promise that we have as believers. Whereas we know from the word, the promise here is a reference to the resurrection. Again, he speaks about majestic nature. What do you suppose he's speaking about when he says majestic nature? Well, I believe that this is a reference to the resurrection. We know that when we are resurrected, the scripture says that we are resurrected in glory. It's one of the attributes we find within the word. And the word glory comes from the Greek word doxa. And doxa means splendor or brightness. Majestic nature. The resurrection. The hope that we all have within the word. You know, believe me when I say that there is nothing greater There is not a promise greater than that of Yahweh's kingdom to come. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, Their eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the promise ahead. And what we do, the ethics and the values we show, will determine that reward. So what must we do to be found worthy of this promise? Number one, it says that we must flee the corruption of this world. We must remove ourselves from the corruption of this world. And as we heard again in that special, there is a lot of corruption. This is certainly the day when evil is called good and good is called evil. The scripture says, woe to those who do such things. Number two, we must also be a person of character and virtue. We must show the values we find within Yahweh's word. Again, that code of conduct. Living a life of virtue, setting the example of virtue, kindness in this regard. Now, is it possible to flee the corruption of this world and not be a person of virtue? Think about that for just a moment. Is it possible to flee the corruption of this world and miss from being a person of virtue? The answer is yes. You see, it's one thing not to participate in the evils of this world. It's another to be a person of love, kindness, compassion, as we find within the truth. Peter refers here to virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, holiness, brotherly, kindness, and charity. I believe we see a progression of virtues or values within this passage. That each one builds upon the other. That each one is greater than the previous mentioned. Based on this progression, I believe that brotherly kindness would be the second most important attribute within the word. Followed, lastly, here with love. Now this phrase, brotherly kindness, comes from the Greek word Philadelphia. Refers to fraternal affection. Or certainly not what we see today in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but that's what it means in the Greek. Fraternal affection. Based on the Greek, this is the same love that's found between siblings and family members. This is also the same love that we should have for those within the assembly. We should show brotherly kindness. We should show love as we find between family members. I want to pause for just a moment, and I want you to ask yourself as a believer, do I show this kind of love? Do I show brotherly love to those of Yahweh's people? I want to pause for just a moment. Just consider that.
Well, let's move on. Speaking about love, our next code of conduct says this. It says, we will endeavor to maintain an attitude of love in all our relationships. So this is something, again, the code of conduct, this is the expectation we have as a ministry from those here. As we saw in the previous passage, love is an essential part of what it means to be a believer. We must have brotherly love. Brotherly love leads to charity. Whereas we know charity is the same concept as love. I want to share two passages that the Messiah provided on love. The first one is John 13, 35. It says, but or by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. So this is how... Scripture says we will know whether we're fellow believers. He says if you have love one to another. So if we don't have love, if we don't show brotherly love, Scripture says by default then that we're not disciples of his. So let's read his uh, second passage here, and that's John 15, 12 through 13, says, This is my commandment. So this this wasn't a recommendation. This wasn't something that Yahshua said, if you want to do, you can do, but if you want to ignore, you can ignore. No, this is a commandment. This is something that Yahshua said, you will do. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What do we learn in these passages? Number one, to be a disciple of our Savior, what must we do? To be a disciple of Yahshua the Messiah, that we must show love one to another. Number two, we see that the greatest example of love is the willingness, the ability to lay down our life for someone in the faith. Based on this, do you feel that you qualify as a disciple of Yahshua the Messiah? Do you feel that you show this virtue of brotherly kindness as we find here? Do you love those in this assembly, and are you willing to lay down your life if required for those here? You know, for those here, I hope the answer is the emphatic yes to both. If not, I would encourage you to consider why or why not, and pray and ask for help and how we can achieve, because this is just as important as being here and observing the Sabbath. If we fall short in love and showing this, then we fall short with Yahweh's promise. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning there in verse 4, Paul defines what love is and what love is not. He says, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. How does Paul here define love? Or the positive attributes of love are these. Patience, kindness, forgiveness, protection, trust, and hope. The negative attributes of love are these. Love does not envy and boast. And love is not proud, rude, selfish, or easily angered. Now, the positive attributes are those that we should embrace. The negative attributes are those we should avoid. We see here that love is not only an emotion. You know, some people, they, 
they attribute love as simply an infatuation, a filling. And as we see from the word, love is what we do as believers. Love is, again, showing patience. Love is not being boastful. We also see here that love encompasses many values and characteristics. It's not one attribute. It's not simply an emotion. Let me share with you two examples, and and there's many, many examples. If we're holding on to hatred or animosity for a brother or sister in the faith, we are not showing love as we find within the word. If we are being rude, we're impolite to those in the assembly. We, again, are not showing love to Yahweh's people. You know, for this reason, I would encourage all those here and those listening online to review this list throughout this week to really consider what love is and what love is not. Love is a uh, complicated topic in many ways and possibly the hardest attribute to, to attain when we understand what love is and what love is not. For those areas where we struggle, I would encourage us to pray about it and find ways to improve. As Paul says in the beginning of this passage, we can give everything we have to the poor. He says we can do everything right. But if we have not loved, those actions will gain us nothing. So it's an important truth to, to keep in mind. Next code of conduct is... We will seek to keep confidences that is trustworthy and refrains from gossip is crucial as a believer. This is an important attribute not only for the health of the person, but also for the health of the assembly. If we want to thrive in this life as a believer, if we want an assembly that thrives, we need to make sure that we're not gossiping, that we're holding confidence when people come to us in such a way. As we see in Proverbs 6, starting in verse 16, gossip is one of the attributes that Yahweh finds as an abomination. I want to read that passage. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, These six things does Yahweh hate. That's a strong statement. When our Father in heaven is saying that I hate, I hate these attributes. I despise these attributes. He says, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Let me tell you, there's nothing worse than an abomination to our Father in heaven. So here's how he defines an abomination. He says, a proud look, a haughty person, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift, and running to mischief. The false witness to speak lies, and he that says discord among brethren. You know, as we see here, Yahweh defines all these sins as an abomination. What exactly is an abomination? We've all heard the word. Where does it come from? What does it really mean? Or it comes from the Hebrew Toaba, refers to something that is morally disgusting. That's how Strong's defines it. Morally disgusting and abhorrence to the one we worship. 
Yahweh finds these items incredibly offensive. Who wants to do something that Yahweh finds disgusting morally? That Yahweh finds an abhorrence? One of the items on the list here is he who says discord among brethren. In other words, a person who gossips and causes strife or contention within the assembly. You see, our Father in heaven, he has no patience for those who would gossip or cause contention amongst believers. Yahweh defines such a person and such an act as an abomination, as someone who is morally disgusting, loathsome. Nothing good comes from gossip. The other thing about gossip, from my standpoint, is I believe it shows weakness. Why do I say that? Gossip shows weakness. Or gossip is often done because we'd rather not deal with the issue. We'd rather not deal with a person. We'll go around gossiping about them and making ourselves feel maybe better. This is why Yahshua, though, said if somebody wrongs us in some way, Scripture says that we're to go to them. Scripture says that we're to discuss it with them. Scripture says that we're to resolve that issue between us and them alone. Not to go around to others talking bad about them. Scripture says that we're to resolve them, go to them directly. Now, the reason why Yahweh finds gossip so offensive is what it does. So what does gossip do? Well, gossip destroys relationships. Gossip destroys families. Gossip destroys assemblies. Gossip is destructive. And this is why our Father in Heaven finds gossip, finds discord so offensive within his word. If we have an issue with someone, if we've been wronged by somebody, we're to go to that person we're to explain our grievance, and hopefully we can work that out between us and them alone and not go and talk about them behind their back. Gossip only inflames an already bad situation. The other lesson we see here within this code of conduct is that we should be trustworthy. Trustworthy. You know, we see a lot of, a lot of indications of how Yahweh feels about someone who lies within this proverb. So we should be trustworthy. What does it mean to be trustworthy? Well, here are some synonyms to consider. Trustworthy can also mean dependable, ethical, honest, honorable, responsible, truthful, and upright. Those are all synonyms of being trustworthy. As believers, are we trustworthy? Do we refrain from gossip? Do we refrain from talking about others. As believers, we are to live by these attributes. Would a friend or co-worker describe us as a person who was dependable, ethical, and honest? That's an important question, I believe, that we can ask. If we're not a person who is honorable in what we do, we will not be found worthy of Yahweh's kingdom. Yahweh's kingdom, Yahweh wants somebody who is honorable, somebody who is trustworthy, somebody who is, who is ethical within his kingdom. And listen, we can keep the Sabbath again. We can keep the feast days. We can keep the clean foods. We can do everything right. But if we find ourselves being untrustworthy, being a person who desires to sow discord, all of those efforts are for naught. They will bring nothing good. And we will receive nothing for the efforts that, we, that we've put forth. Now, the next code of conduct here, and this is an important one again, it says we will seek in all we do 
and say, so listen to that, all we do and all we say to strengthen character and dignify each other. What do we mean by this? Or this refers to showing respect and support for the purpose of edification. We should all be striving to help one another, to be a better believer in the Messiah, and to encourage and support those within the faith. We're all familiar with this passage, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. This is a command in my mind. This is something that we should all be doing. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, and we certainly see the day approaching. I'm not one to give dates or times, but we certainly see the day approaching. The evil and the darkness that we see is evidence of the last days. We find here that we're to provoke, it says, one another to good works, to love and good works. Now, the word provoke here is from the Greek, paroxysmos, literally means to incite, to stimulate, or to motivate to good works. So how do we do this? We do this by showing a genuine concern, I believe, for those in the assembly. It also says here that we should not forsake the assemblings of ourselves together. Some do. This is important. I've been in the faith all my life. I've seen people come and go. I know many people are anti-organization. But I believe that organization is very important. Coming together with a body of believers, I believe, is essential. I don't believe it's something we should be doing alone. I've known people like this. They just refuse to be part of an assembly. They say, I've done it. I want no more of it. From what I've seen over the years, nothing good generally comes from isolation. Scripture says to provoke one another to good work. Scripture says that we should not forsake the fellowshipping of ourselves together as a manner of some is. That we should come together, we should fellowship, we should encourage one another, we should appreciate one another, we should support one another. Again, the word provoke means to stimulate, means to incite, means to motivate. And we should be doing that as believers. We should be striving to motivate one another to be better believers. Can't do that alone. You know, when you're alone, for one, it offers little to no encouragement. And also beyond this, I also believe that you you lose a sense of balance when you're without people. The fact is, being part of an assembly gives, gives us an anchor. Realize that when we strengthen character and dignity, as we find within this code of conduct, we strengthen the assembly. You see, an assembly is simply a collection of people. And when we improve the virtue and the integrity of that collection of people, we improve the assembly. It's not complicated. 
But when we improve the people, when we focus on the people, when we provoke, when we incite, when we motivate people to love and to show good works, it improves the assembly. This is what I call a win-win. The person benefits and also the assembly benefits. I want to read something Paul said. Ephesians 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I want to focus on here where Paul says that we should do those things that are edifying. This word comes from the Greek, me. Strong's defines it as a compound or structure. When we communicate in a positive way and minister grace and kindness, as we find here, we're strengthening, we're fortifying our own relationships within the ministry. You see, this is referring to a building, but as we know, we represent Yahweh's temple. We fortify, we build that temple when we show good works. When we edify one another, we are building and strengthening our temple. When we don't show edification, when we show the opposite, we are tearing down this temple. Remember also that Joshua compared the person who followed his teachings as a house built upon the rock. When we fortify the house by good works, that house will remain and stand. But if we don't, if it's built upon the sand, that house will fall. I want to move on now to our next code of conduct. It says we will remember that our personal conduct gives evidence of our sincerity and reflects upon the ministry. As believers, we need to realize that our personal actions reflect upon the ministry. It reflects collectively upon the believers. This is not only true when we are here, but this is also true when we're gone. This is true when we're with friends. This is true when we're with our employers. For example, if a person, if we're, if, uh, we're a person that is known to uh, cause strife, that behavior does not only reflect upon you, I believe it also reflects upon the ministry. And that's why I believe in the back of our mind we should always be thinking, what can I do to be the best person I can be and that reflects in a positive way upon the ministry. When we do or say things, whether it's within or outside the assembly, we need to ask, again, how does this reflect upon the body of Messiah? And even more important than the ministry, how does this reflect upon our Savior? If we're showing things like bitterness and hatred and discord amongst those in the world, and they know that we're religious, they know that we, are, we, we follow the Messiah that we follow Almighty Yahweh, how does that reflect upon them? Well, I can tell you it reflects very poorly upon them. This is why Paul even says in 1 Timothy 3 that a minister must have a good report from those which were outside. You see, the test of a minister is not only about who he is inside the ministry. It's also a test of who that person is from the outside. How do the outside view that person? This is not Alan's assembly. This is not my assembly. This is Yahweh's assembly. And as evidence of his assembly, we need to make sure that we're representing it well, that we're representing Yahweh well, that we're representing our Savior well, that we're doing those things that reflect in a positive way 
upon those who we worship and recognize and acknowledge. This means that we show mutual love and respect. And I would encourage all those here and listening to ask yourselves, does my behavior, does my attitude positively reflect upon myself and upon the assembly and inevitably upon the one I worship? If we're doing those things that are offensive to the world, just consider how that reflects upon those, upon our Father in heaven. Now, the next code of conduct here, and this is an important virtue, says we will walk in the humility of the Messiah and consider the needs of others. In many ways, I believe that humility is only second to love when you think about it, the importance of humility. Seems like, or the opposite of humility is pride. Seems like pride is what gets us into trouble more than anything. So how do we define humility? Or here's some examples. Here's my definition. Humility is realizing that we are not the center of the universe. So many people, they believe that they're the center of the universe, that everything spins around them. So the first definition or the first way of looking at humility is realizing that the universe does not revolve around us. It's showing selflessness. It's admitting fault. It's receiving correction. It's looking first to the needs of others and removing pride. Pride is one of the hardest things for mankind to remove. When it comes to humility, there are very few books that provide more insight than for Proverbs. I want to read just a few verses from Proverbs. It talks a lot about humility. Oops. Can we back that up a little bit? I did bring a Bible just in case. I've never had this happen. One more. Nope. There we go. Proverbs 8, verse 13. It says there, the fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. So the knowledge of Yahweh is to hate evil. You could give a sermon just on that concept alone. Such, a, such an important concept. It says, pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. I clicked that button. I was hoping it wasn't going to do that, but it just did. Okay, very good. Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, in comes shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Lowly is with a humbled. With a humbled is wisdom. But again, as we see here, pride brings what? Pride brings prosperity. Nope. It says pride brings shame. Proverbs 15, 33 says, A fear of Yahweh's instruction of evil or wisdom and before honor is humility. So we see again that the fear of Yahweh is a wisdom, and that humility, humility comes when we follow our Father in heaven. Proverbs sixteen eighteen through 19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. A lot of people quote that the wrong way. I'm not sure if it's such a bad thing, but a lot of people say pride goes before a fall. It doesn't really say that, but it's very close. Better is he to be of a humble spirit with a lowly or humbled than to divide the spoil of the proud. Last one here. Proverbs 18, verse 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. So what are some of the common threads we find 
between these passages. We see a lot of contrast between humility and pride. We see that humility is blessed and pride is cursed. And we see that humility brings success while pride brings ruin or destruction. Those are the common threads. As I mentioned, I believe that humility is only second to love. It's such a crucial aspect. It's such a crucial value to have as a believer. One of the main reasons for this is that humility allows us to submit ourselves to Yahweh's will. Submission. While pride refuses to submit, pride refuses to change. As a person who is incapable, of, if, if we are incapable of submitting ourselves to Yahweh, listen, we will not be found worthy of his promise. We all must be willing to submit who we are to our Father in heaven and to his son, Yahshua. The Bible says that we were bought with a price, that price being the shed blood of our Savior. The reality is we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to somebody else. Some people, they have this attitude, I'm not going to be a servant to anything. I'm not going to, 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 uh, to follow anybody. I'm not going to submit to anybody. Listen, the reality is we all submit to something. We either submit to the will of our Father in heaven or we, or we submit to sin. And if we submit to sin or we simply we are following Satan the devil. I don't care how prideful you are. I don't care how much you think you are capable of not submitting yourself. But we inevitably will submit ourselves to something. So we have a choice whether we submit ourselves to our Father in heaven or we can submit ourselves to sin. And as we see in Romans 6, it says there that if we follow sin, sin leads to death. So we will either submit ourselves to eternal life or we will submit ourselves to sin and death. So we will all submit ourselves to something. Submission is not optional. We see a great lesson on humility in Philippians 2. 3 through 8, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, humbleness. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Notice that. How hard is that to do? That is very hard to do. Most don't follow through with that. It says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, be more concerned about the other person. Do we do that? As a believer, as a person, are we more concerned about the other person? Or do we focus on our own needs, on our own wants, on our own achievements, on our own wishes? Or again, do we focus on the other person? But every man also on the things of others, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? It says also in Messiah. Yahshua, who, being in the form of Elohim, thought it not a robber to be equal with Elohim, but made himself of no reputation, Listen, this is the Savior of mankind. This is the Son of Yahweh. This is the greatest human being that has ever walked this earth. And he says here that he made himself of no reputation. He lowered himself deliberately. As believers, we must deliberately lower ourselves. We must have the same values that we find here. This is Sadi Nadwabur to equal with Elohim, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself 
and became obedient unto death, even as even the death of the state. Paul begins here by talking about vainglory. What is that vainglory? Or it simply means self-conceit. Self-conceit. As believers, we must die to self and live for Messiah, who again paid the price through his own blood. We belong to him. We are his. We are his possession, not our own. Paul also says that we should walk in lowliness of mind, where this simply means humility. We should walk in, in a humbled way. As, as a side note, the word humility actually comes from the Latin meaning, or it comes from Latin, uh, humilis, literally meaning low. So when we think of humility in Latin, it literally means low, to abase. As we see here, one way we show humility is by esteeming others better than we do ourselves. We do this by putting our needs secondary to the needs of others. I don't know if I could say enough. I don't believe I can convey the right words to convey the importance of what we find here, to convey the thought that as believers we should be more concerned, more focused on the needs of those around us than our own needs, than our own wants, than our own desires. For the reality is that's a very hard thing for mankind to do. That is very, very hard. But scripture says this is what we should be doing. We should be focusing more on the needs of others. We should be humbling ourselves. We should be abasing ourselves because Yahshua did this. Yahshua took on the form of a servant. He had no reputation. He was the greatest man that ever walked this earth, but he was a servant to all. And as believers, we should follow in this great example. I want to focus now on our final code of conduct. It says we will be vigilant in protecting, protecting our children and securing their safety and well-being at all times. Now, I don't plan to dwell on this since I believe we all understand the need of protecting our kids, but it's certainly something I did not want to leave out. I do want to, though, spend a few moments talking about the blessing of children. Blessing of children, the, the, the blessings that they bring, not only to parents, but also even to the ministry. So here's what it says in Psalms 127, verse 3. It says, Lo, children are an, are an heritage of Yahweh, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is a man that hath his quiver full of them, they shall not be ashamed. As a side note, who wrote this psalm? I, wasn't, I didn't know this when I uh, was preparing for this message. According to scholars, this psalm was only one of two psalms written by King Solomon. So this psalm is accredited to Solomon, just one of two. He begins here by saying that children are a heritage. This word heritage is from the Hebrew nikala, refers to an inheritance or to a possession. So we see here that children are an inheritance. When I see the young people of this assembly, I view them as the next generation. I feel very blessed that we have many children within this assembly. I feel very blessed that we have young people within this assembly. I feel blessed that we have young parents within this assembly. It's the children who will be the next generation. As one generation leaves, another generation comes. This is why it's important that we protect our children 
and also teach them of Yahweh's word. We see this within the Shema, or Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says there in part, as parents, that we're to teach our children when we sit at home, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. And we not only teach them through reading, but we teach them by what we do. You see, children are more observed than what we believe and realize many, many times. And we teach them, I believe, more by what we do and not by what we see alone. It's so important we set that example. I want to, I think this is the last scripture here. Mark 10, 13 through 16, he says, And they brought young children to him, to Yahshua, and he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those who brought them, but when Yahshua saw it, he was much displeased, he was angry. And said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven, or Elohim. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of Elohim as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, so, so he embraced them. I never realized that until I read this, again, preparing for this message. I've read this many times. But it says he picked them up. He lifted them up and he embraced them. Put his arms around them and blessed them. We see here the parents were bringing children to Yahshua to be blessed. At first, the disciples refused to let them come. And Yahshua, with an angry response, told his disciples, No, let them come, bring them to me. We see there that he then embraced them. He hugged them. He blessed them. Well, I believe Yahshua here was speaking about the simplicity and humility of children in in many ways because to enter into the kingdom, we must be like children, it says. We must be obedient. We must be humbled. I also believe, though, it shows that he had a special place for children. I believe that children meant and means a lot to our Father in heaven and our Savior. We see here again that he embraced and blessed them. As an assembly, we need to value our children. We need to value our young people. I know some people over the years, I've heard them complain about kids. They make so much noise. They run. Yes, they make noise. But children are also the generation. Children are also a blessing. So next time you might complain about some of the kids, just consider Yahshua's view on children. He enjoyed the children. He embraced the children. He blessed the children because he realized the value of children and our young people. So I believe it's so important that as believers we recognize, we support, we encourage, and we support our kids of all ages, from very young to their teens. Of course, at 16, they know everything, right? They're teaching us at 16 years old and afterwards. But no, they are a blessing, and I I believe that as believers we need to recognize the value of our kids and really do everything. And just as a side note, we're doing many more things than we've done historically, especially for our teens, trying to encourage them to uplift them. And uh, we recently bought even a bus, a small bus, to transport our our teens and others. But it is uh, very um, important that we, again, recognize the value of our kids. They can drive us nuts, but 
they are a blessing. They are a possession. They are an inheritance that Yahweh has given to each one of us. And they are the next generation of this assembly. I want to close now with uh, sharing another set of standards. So we've gone through the code of ethics. I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to you, and I hope and pray that you um, will uh, seek to, to live by those ethics. But I want to close by another set of standards, and that is our dress code. I thought this would be an appropriate time to kind of just review the dress code. So here it is. Our dress code. I'm already hearing uh, some groans groans over there. Uh, During times of worship, dress shirts, collar shirts, pants for men and boys, dresses, skirts, or dress pants for women and young ladies. Ladies must cover their heads uh, or have their heads covered, uh, scarves or hats. And uh, men must keep their heads uncovered, and that's based on what Paul says, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 11, 5 through 7. If you don't have dress attire for worship, please come in your best as we are coming before the king of the universe. And I know some people don't have suits. That's fine. All we simply ask is come in your best. And then also during other times at wire, and please avoid a modest dress, including low neck, uh, neckline, sleeveless, exposed back, shirt above the knees, exposed, or so on and so forth. You get the point. But it's important that we're moral. It's important that we're ethical. It's important that we're modest. For me, this dress code goes very closely with the code of conduct. Now, why is a dress code important? Especially in this day and age, you see these churches, and you know, I, I, once I'll flip on and watch some of these preachers on TV, and they're ripped up jeans and their leather jacket. And it's like, what in the world? I, I just, but that's the norm. That's the norm. I forget where I heard this, but many years ago, I think we were at Lake of the Ozark or somewhere, and and uh, in the church. I don't even know how how I um, knew this, but they were coming to church in their shorts. And their uh, swimwear, is, again, I, so why is this important? Or let me give you the reason why this is important. When we come to Sabbath, we are coming before the maker of this universe. We are coming before the one we worship. We're not coming just to simply hear a message. We're not coming to simply hear some good music. No, we're coming before the maker of this universe. We are coming before Almighty Yahweh. And that's how we should view the Sabbath. We shouldn't view the Sabbath as just one more thing, or again, we're just going to listen to somebody behind the pulpit say a few things. No. We are coming before the creator of this universe. And I believe that it's important not only that our insides reflect that, but also our outward, our outside, our dress. You know, if you're ever in question if if something is, is appropriate, simply ask. If I was coming literally before Yahshua, would I wear this? Well, I think most of us would probably say, no, I'd probably put something better on. So it's important to realize why we're here, what we're doing, and we're worshiping our Father, and our dress again should reflect that. And that, inclu- that, that includes even things like head coverings, as we find within the Word. You know, I hope this uh, review of the Code of Conduct, again, has been a blessing to you. The norms and behaviors that we've reviewed not only make us into a better person, I believe, but also a better believer. And again, it benefits this assembly. 
it benefits collectively because again, if we are a better person individually, collectively, we will be a better assembly. And these are important values. I'm very passionate about this code of conduct because I believe it's more than just a few bullet points. If we follow these points, if we follow this code of conduct, we're going to be blessed beyond measure. And I believe that we have a great assembly. We have a great assembly. We have some very good people in this assembly. But as a person, I know that we can all do better. And I believe that if we live by this code of conduct, we will succeed and we will do better. So I pray that y'all consider what you've heard today and maybe ponder it throughout the week and strive to even do better than what we are now so that we will be a better believer and we will have even a better assembly. May Yahweh bless you.